It's the Redirect Podcast. Search industry research, discussion, and analysis from the Black Truck Media and Marketing Headquarters. And now, redirecting you to the Black Truck Team. Welcome to episode 51 of the Redirect Podcast. It's Friday, July 20th, 2018. I'm Jason Dodge, founder of Black Truck Media and Marketing. I'm joined this week by Ashley and Patrick from the Black Truck team. Hey, gang. Hello. Hey. Welcome. We're celebrating one year of the Redirect Podcast. Yes. By my quick math I did prior to this. That's something between 25 and 30 hours of content we've recorded. Wow. So is that when we aired our first public episode, or is that when we started the, the backlog? I believe it was July 10th that we announced yeah. the podcast, yeah. and we had already recorded a, a backlog. Okay. Yep. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. So yeah, we had, we, so actually, uh, probably more like 35 or 40 hours of content, yeah. because we recorded six or seven prior to then. Yeah. Uh, so, hat tip to all our listeners, uh, to you guys, the Black Truck team, and and really to our guests too that we've had on for for making this happen. I think we really just set out uh, to start a conversation and share some insights at first. And I think the feedback that we've received by a number of of individuals locally and and outside our region even is has been really great. So. Yeah, we're kind of a big deal. <laughs> Let's not go Neil Patel on this. <laughs> so <clears throat> we uh, we've we've taken a couple weeks off, actually more than a couple weeks off, due to the Fourth of July Fourth of July holiday. Uh, major everybody had summer vacations going on and things like that. But and then last week we spent much of pretty pretty much the entire week in Seattle. Uh, beautiful city out uh, at MozCon, so hanging out with other search marketing peers and professionals, and and a really really great time and a ton of good content. I think um, from that event, three days of drinking the Kool Aid, <laughs> drinking from the fire hose, if you will, networking, and I always say a lot of bacon. So, um, so on this episode, we're we're really going to give everyone, I think. Uh, some highlights from MozCon 2018 uh, and our key takeaways. So more like freestyle, open, round robin as usual. I have no idea what you guys are going to talk about. You have no idea what I'm going to talk about. But um, I'll kick it off. Big themes, big takeaways. Similar but a little bit different from when I was at uh, Search Love in Boston in June. But um, finally, uh, more focused efforts on the user. Mm-hmm. And and say user experience and site performance, big overarching themes I'm talking mm-hmm. about here. And then thinking a lot less about individual keywords mm-hmm. and more on themes, which is something I think that we've done for quite some time now. Um, but maybe something that people don't know that those might be a little bit more centered around is the concept of entities. And that was something that like Cindy Crum had kicked off, who was a guest of ours on the redirect before. Multiple Multiple people throughout three days mentioned entities and entity search. Um, and then uh, kind of the, the final one there, structured data, structured data, structured data. Which ties directly to the entities. <clears throat> it, it, ties, it ties directly into entities. It ties directly into site performance. And how do I tell the story of my site um, 
and much better, easier, if you will, for Google to pick up on, crawl, get through, etc. So um, I'd love to just kind of kick it around and, and, you know, definitely talk about, it doesn't have to be those big themes, but I'm curious what you guys thought were the, the you know, what were the big presentations that really stood out to you? I, I think I have a few, but what were they that stood out and and maybe why and and how does that what are those what are the things that that people need to be looking at moving forward um, if they're not taking that in consideration now? Um, I I can jump in on that one. So right off the bat, uh, the CEO Maz Sarberg uh, jumped in with an introduction to the week and just a couple little tidbits to get our our uh, everything salivating and ready to go and and one of the big reasons we're all there is to get better at search right and to get people to click on us and make us rise to the top and she dropped the stat on us that 40 percent of desktop searches and 60 percent of mobile searches do not result in clicks yeah. we uh, we know that google wants us to stay on google mm-hmm. they want us to be there and stay there and spend the money through them and so I know that we're competing directly, playing nicely directly with Google. But when you put it to a number like that, then not only are we competing with other players in our industry or the given site, we're also now losing 40% of clicks on desktop and 60% of clicks on mobile that never result in anything. You you're, you might nail that keyword. You might be position number one, position number two, but you're not getting clicked. Well, I think you make that's a really great point because and it certainly can be industry vertical specific. Mm-hmm. We we've talked a lot about lately about how um, the travel and tourism space has been impacted by like Google's concierge and booking type mm-hmm. services amongst the big you know Travagos, kayaks, travelocities of the world. Um, you know, you take that theme alone and look at what disruption Google has caused. Um, let alone um, the automotive segment and, and car shopping, buying anything like that, anything related to commerce that that Google can remove the the friction. That's what you really have to watch out for. And um, not saying that to, I think, and you're not saying it's a pay to play space. And I don't think Sarah was getting at that. No. It's just she was very much saying, you know. Guys, we need to be thinking about this differently. And and then kind of in closing on that too, you know, Mike King uh, from iPoll Rank um, really challenged both sides. I think SEOs and Google or search engines to say like, all right, SEOs, where would you be without Google? And Google, where would you be without SEOs? Because we're challenging you and you're challenging right. us. So it's very interesting there. But um, I'll steer clear of the drama of that. <laughs> Did you have anything else? I, I mean, with that, no. I mean, okay. other than like that, really kind of jumped in, and uh, John, I forget his last name, came in right with pretty yeah Alderson um, immediately after he was the first presenter. So, with Sarah's initial point, that really just kind of it blew my mind, and it just kind of like <laughs> stayed open, you know? Yeah. Yeah, I think I think Jono's was was good. I don't know if you were going to talk about that at all, Ashley, but Jono Alderson from uh, so Yoast, everybody's favorite SEO plugin for WordPress. Um, uh, you know, um, basically, uh, man, I don't know how to even say 
how he approaches. But basically what he did was is he, he forced us all to look at what's next and beyond the usual, what we might deem blocking and tackling of SEO. So uh, we're all fixing 404 pages. We're all doing 301 redirects. We're all optimizing titles and meta descriptions for click-through rate and focusing on content and this, that, and the other. But then it comes back to these blocking and tackling things. We still deal with 404s. We still deal with redirect loops. We still deal with you know horribly deployed things, elements. And he kind of asked the question, who's at fault? You know, whose fault is this? Is it is it the developer? Like, oh, the developer didn't do what they were supposed to do, or is it the SEO's fault? You know, that was the big question that I kind of put down in my notes, and it was really there's a huge, still a huge lack of education, and we can do better. And we really need to be thinking about how we can, um, you know, break those silos. And there were a number of people, too, that talked about breaking silos and, you know, working cross-team, cross-function to say, like, you know, let me educate you on search and why these things are important. And then also maybe to get some influence from the developers on why certain things are important, too. I think it's yeah. really, really good. <clears throat> that was... That was a really great presentation. I think the first one that I wanted to talk about was Taylor Coyle's. Mm -hmm. notes from her too. Yeah. Um, so her presentation. You guys are very much fan fangirling over Taylor. It wasn't due to the thank you card that she sent us. But no. 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 She was. She relevant. did a great job. She was on point. Yep. So the the name of her presentation was why <clears throat> blog is a misnomer for our 2018 content strategy. And I think she had some great takeaways. And there were many presentations that were much more complicated than hers. I feel like her, her topic was very simple compared to many mm -hmm. others. Mm -hmm. But that it was so straightforward and useful. I, I, I would say if you boiled it down to the essence of, of what the presentation was, was basically a blog may not make sense for your website, a traditional blog, and that looking at it as a resource library and presenting it for your audience in that way and yeah. with the whole UX and everything is a much more user-focused, customer-focused, human-focused way to do it. I kind of saw it the same way, too, with a little bit different thought process of not necessarily the blog being not right for your business, but rethinking the blog and reinventing the blog and not... It, it's all the same elements are there. Readjust your content and make it resource driven and call it a resource center, mm -hmm. a data center, or something like that. It's you know, it's I, I I've been writing on the web for ten years now and, and I have lots of dead blogs out there that went defunct and the ones that always drove to the top were the ones that were how to related or mm -hmm. things that could be seen as a resource. And I have uh, old items out there that are still getting traction and will still get search relevancy for things that I haven't even touched in 10 years, you know, it's, and it's because it's a resource, it's a how-to type thing. And if that's the way it needs to go, it's people on so many different industries and the different works we work, we do here at an agency level, we go across a lot of different types of industries mm -hmm. here. Mm -hmm. And we have to real quick educate ourselves on the industry and then try to find a way to drive that traffic. Yeah. And like Ashley said, oftentimes it just doesn't make sense to, write an article about something that who are we reaching? What are we trying to get? What are we getting yeah, out of it? Yeah. You know, and it's, it, if, if it's not 
a resource and if you're not pushing a blog or sorry pushing a specific product what are you writing for right and and I think that's what a lot of people ask though right is there's a lot of people that ask like if I'm not pushing my product or my service in in this blog post why am I doing it when maybe we need to take a step back a little bit I think that's what she kind of Mm-hmm. was getting at too was really that whole human-centered content talk and, and we've certainly discussed that here and we have a lot of in-depth conversations about it I think with with brands and clients we get to work with but just further affirms that that notion that like when you're developing content you really really need to consider the audience Pat to your point um, and not just your brand so thinking about those the, the problem solving in mm-hmm. this case uh, Taylor works for a company uh, called Tortuga uh, travel backpacks and things like that. And it's very much a lot of how to's, you know, how can I basically, can I pack in a backpack for uh, a two week European vacation or something like that? Right. I mean, mm-hmm. there's, there's questions that people, there are legitimate problems and needs that people are trying to solve. Uh, but then just even the reorganization of your mm-hmm. blog and your content is really fascinating. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> she, had mentioned something about how if you have your blog organized or your blog section of your site organized just to show the most recent entries, you might be missing out on putting some really great content in Mm -hmm. front of people who are landing on your website. And so, you know, there's two different ways to look at it um, from bringing in traffic through search, but then also engaging the visitor once they're on your site. So I, I may be taking a little bit of liberty saying this, but I believe she was kind of pushing towards, you know, just even removing dates from your articles because it may not be the the date of when it was published may not be relevant. Well, I think it's I think that's been proven. I mean, yeah. even Will Will Reynolds well, has talked about it. He he presented in his Mozcon deck last year. Even talked about and showed live screenshots of users and what they're clicking on. A user. Generally, unless it's news, mm-hmm. could give two <laughs> yeah. less about the date on it if it's helpful. If it's helpful. Does it fulfill your your need? They don't care. No different than PPC ads. It, it, uh, I don't care if it costs you the advertiser a buck if it answers my question and gets me what I need. Mm-hmm. Don't care. Um, I, and the way that they reorganize their blog, I think, at Tortuga is very... Uh, super, super helpful based off of, uh, um, I mean, I was trying to listen to her so much. I took very few Mm -hmm. notes actually with her, but, um, it was more centered around what those top kind of focus areas were for them. I think there was a lot of UX in it too, where they, she started off saying they completely redid their blog in 2017. They redesigned the way it appears, made it the UX way cleaner, more modern, more slick. And got rid of uh, what was like a big sidebar, yeah. And it, it made it just more user friendly through the traditional blog format out the window. Yeah, yeah. And um, Stephanie Briggs touched on it too. She had she had a similar approach when it came to content. Was looking at those top page types, um, page counts, um, velocity, and things like that, and look at those. Um, this was more. Um, search driven content strategies. But if you took, if you took that and blended it with what Taylor was talking about, I mean, my God, some, some serious power from your content marketing and what you really should be doing moving forward. 
What else? That's just day one, guys. You better <laughs> you better keep digging here. <laughs> no, that was a it was a good jump, and we ended up having um, breakfast with her right away at a big conference or the uh, the cafeteria basically, <laughs> and had further good discussions. Um, anyways, so another one I want to talk about. I'm going to go to the end of day three on the other end. Um, Dana Di Tommaso. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, Dana's great. Yeah, yeah. It's not the first time I've heard her speak, and she spoke completely different stuff this time, and I've I've really grown to like her. Um, the the takeaway I got from her, what I wrote in my notes is, um, monitoring is data, reporting is insight. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it's mm-hmm. great. There's a difference with. We just actually had a conversation about this in the office here. Uh, during a team meeting is about, about um, how I personally feel about the way we're presenting data to our clients when we do these these reports. You know, we're just giving them numbers, and that's monitoring. Yeah. You know, and but there's a little bit of defense there. Yeah, yeah, too. yeah. No, I'm I'm not throwing myself under the bus or what we do under the bus. The insight comes from our our yeah, it's personalized reports. Right. right. Not just giving a sheet of numbers to them. Uh, we do. You know, obviously, you give some insight in there as well. I feel like we need to do more of that. And uh, I would like to dig deeper and improve upon the numbers element of it and give them customized numbers that aren't just metrics that they can go look up themselves. That's right. Yeah, that's right. I think it's, to to your point, I think, and it really, in summary of that, Pat, it's, it's is the report customized to what that particular brand, what that audience, what that client needs. So whether you're an in-house SEO and you need to report up to the C-suite or other marketing professionals you work with, or if you are an agency and you need to report to your clients and things like that, you know, really be looking at what you're doing from a reporting function and say, Hey, how can I, how can I improve this? You know, what, are these really goals and conversions or are they like we've talked before, are, are they vanity metrics? Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, we shy away from vanity metrics, but, um, I think certainly there's some, some, uh, we all know there's bad reporting out there. Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> One of the questions Dana asked was, are clients actually reading our reports? <laughs> right. You know, and, yeah. And, that's, you know, that's her question. Yeah. We said the same thing yesterday in, in uh, about a year ago, uh, we revamped our process in house mm-hmm, here, mm-hmm. and it was based on um, client feedback. Yep. We went around and asked some of our uh, select clients, and and uh, they said like, "Yeah, your summary is great." Oftentimes, <laughs> we don't even feel we need to click through, and we just read the summary, and the summary is what we need, man. That's that's what we use, and that's what we like, and that's that's great. So just keep doing the summary, which is great. I think if you have. Um if you're working with, uh, in our case, clients that, that um, you know, thankfully have our uh, the, the utmost trust of, of us and what we're doing, um, which we certainly don't take, um, you know, you don't take that lightly. That's a big deal. Um, but also if you're in a position where you're in-house and, and you know, if your your marketing team has a lot of trust in what you're doing, they may not look at that report. Mm-hmm. And that's okay. But how else can you feed them that information that can impact them? For yeah. us... It's like a digest and a summary. If that's written, if it's video, if it's a phone call, whatever you need to do to get that point across on a monthly, bi-monthly, whatever your reporting uh, timeline is, uh, to your point, Pat, like, do, how can you do more? How can you do better in yeah. that and, and reformat it? So 
I think it's, yeah, it's really good. Yeah, I think the most delightful part of Dana's presentation for me was when she showed us an example dashboard um, in Data Studio where she had made the headings instead of page views. It's like, what pages are your visitor visitors looking at or mm -hmm. something like that? Um, instead of channels, so that would be organic search, direct, paid search, um, referrals. So instead of a heading that says channels, there's the heading above, how do visitors get to your website? Yeah, the, customization. I, the customization and making human-centered dashboards is, um, I kind of just made that up. You know, I think, <laughs> but, but, but I think it's right. I mean, yeah. even if you look at like one of, one of our, one of our, our screens, you know, I'm not giving away anything here, but like one of our screens simply says like, where, where are your most engaged users coming from or where are your most engaged visitors coming from? And that's based off, that's built off of a certain set of, of metrics or KPIs that say, you know, organic search based off of these things or direct visits based off of these things because it gives you a snapshot. It helps in layman's terms. Anybody should be able to look at that and go, oh, interesting. Our most engaged users come from here. You know, I think that's I think that's really really uh, to your point. Making it human centered so mm -hmm. people understand it's great. Mm -hmm. That's good. What um, what about other takeaways? I mean, from from the local search perspective, there were a couple of really great ones. Uh, of course, Rob Rob Bucci from Stat always throws down a bunch of data. Um, great tool. So he has access to a bunch of a bunch of information, but um, I, I think we're, what he identified for us was this this idea of like um, every search is local. Mm -hmm. It's just there's a difference between local and hyper local. And you know, questions is is Google able to define a user's local intent, and does Google respond to local intent differently? And he, um, you know, Rob and his team at Stat are very good at determining what, what kind of intent. Like they're very, very focused on intent and intent by region, and just talking about do base queries, base searches, have local intent versus those that people include things like near me or in a specific city, and um, and it, what he's saying is expect to see more aggregate type. Uh, sites in SERPs for geo modifier keywords versus near me. So when I do, meaning when I grab my phone and I'm like, I travel to a place and I'm like, Italian restaurants near me or restaurants near me. Um, <clears throat> what he's saying versus say uh, restaurants Grand Rapids or restaurants Seattle, he's saying that the the more the geo modifier, the one that has Seattle or Grand Rapids, Michigan tagged mm -hmm. onto the end of it is going to have more of your aggregator sites like Yelp, TripAdvisor, you know, top 10 places or the top most expensive restaurants to, to eat in Seattle, that type of thing, versus near me. So it's that, that difference of localization versus hyper-local, you know, more specific. And I think that, uh, man, there's a, I, I think I still will stand behind statements I made before that, like, I think between Google Shopping on the paid side and local search, like those are two of the most volatile areas mm -hmm. uh, that I that I see in in search right now. 
Is there anything that you guys picked up on? Uh, Darren Shaw spoke on local yeah. too. He had a couple of really great points about getting reviews. Reviews was a big, a big, big thing. Yes. And that was, <clears throat> that was one that stuck out to me too. Um, so of course I talk a lot about reviews, but, um, one takeaway from his presentation that was new for me, not like mind shattering, but new. And I think something that can definitely be used more is even in your newsletters, if you have an email list for your customers or potential customers in a newsletter, highlight a user's review that stands out to you that you think is a good representation hmm. of your business. And then include a link for that, for your readers to also leave you a review. Hmm. Um, I think that's great in terms of presenting a third party quote unquote uh, recommendation for your business, but then also giving that little prompt to, to leave a review. And if someone reads something positive, they might be reminded of a positive interaction they've had with your, with your company and be inspired to leave a review. So I thought that that was a great um, kind of natural way to include that in uh, in a, a medium that I, I would not have really thought about before, mm -hmm. besides like, hey, give us a review. Like, mm -hmm. this just took it a little bit yeah. step further, I guess. You pointed on, too, um, the, the one, uh, having chatted with Darren before, and I like a lot of the content that White Spark kicks out, it was never really clear to me before until um, his presentation, but, you know, it goes back to Pat, your original statement. Google is sending less people to your site from local listings, meaning they're making you take you, the user, more steps. It's mm -hmm. not so obvious to go to the website from there. So <clears throat> that's where reviews can really make an impact because they can bring you up higher in that local pack type thing, as well as it's going to want to make you take that extra step to click through or to visit the location or to do business with or something like that, I think is, is, uh, is really a, a good thing to think about. Yeah. 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 Well, what about machine learning and oh. Brittany Muller and that stuff was fantastic, but like I really had to focus hard. Yeah. <laughs> no, she went super geek. Yeah. I think she, she and a couple other, I, I don't know. I, out of everybody, I really think that she went, way deep on that and it was yeah. awesome it was awesome and it was incredible and like if I could get that nailed down give me give me 40 hours to focus on that and come out <laughs> on the other end and like guys I figured it out do it watch it's amazing this. I but I, I don't yeah. I think I would need like a four-year degree to get that. Yeah, I mean, well, it, <laughs> but she—I don't remember the time frame that she gave, but she walked us through a machine learning experiment that she had done herself. I think which she I was about a month, maybe. Okay. I, yeah. How green did she start, though? I mean, I, I she know. seems pretty. Well, I mean, Brittany's a little bit. I mean, she's, but uh, yeah, she's. Yeah. I think she certainly is a, a, a dabbler of, of hacking into things, and, and but but still, at the same time, I think that that. That it's a she gave a really great deck on machine learning and her her presentation the focus was machine learning for SEOs and but what was neat was is that I I love the way she kind of said you know let's talk about two different types there's supervised and unsupervised there's labeled versus non-labeled so all of a sudden she like kept us really broad level and then we just went <laughs> into every column. But I mean, all the way down to dialogue flow and 
actions in Google and how that can define what is going to become small talk with our personal devices and insights on uh, small talk can give us insights on keyword research for voice. Um, and then uh, she gave examples, uh, algorithmia.com. Um, you've got to do quite a bit of legwork here, but you know, if you had say a large e-commerce site, this would be a great fit for it can be so time consuming to go through a site like that that has maybe garbage meta descriptions, <laughs> meta page descriptions, mm-hmm. or none at all. Mm-hmm. Hence, mm-hmm. garbage, and write them and craft them, you know, uniquely and relevant. And and basically, what she showed us was a way that has been done, or, or that she was able to, and uh, use machine learning to have an input and output that was actually pretty good um, where, you know, you could easily rip through a thousand different SKUs and have a unique meta page description for each one of them. And to Ashley's point, we had a little sidebar conversation during that. Like we both did. Yeah. I think we all kind of said, yeah, that's great. I wouldn't want to do it for everything, but man, there are a few, there are a few enterprise size sites that I would go. That makes sense. Yeah. So, you guys had that kind of side of the conversation. I think you and I had our side, which yeah. is you have to start with content on the page. Yes, for that yes, to work. yes. Yeah. So it ha- it's it's drawing a conclusion mm. from what it's reading on the page, and if there's nothing on the page for it to read, then it can't produce output. Agreed, agreed. So it's it's a little bit more that you're you're guiding it, you're mm-hmm. supervising it a little bit. So now it's really really great stuff. I wanted to um, where, do you have anything else to say on that? I wanted to yeah. uh, <laughs> jump into Heather Physioc. Yeah, uh, and she um, talked about the effectiveness of case studies and your like, a proof of concept. Uh, I'm not going I don't want to get too deep into it because again, she was pretty technical and, and badass <laughs> on that. But um, it's taking your case studies and kind of turning them into more um, exciting documents. I think yeah, and making them more usability, user friendly, or readable. And so when you're then down the road trying to sell the concept to a next client or your boss, they can buy into it better. We just had the same conversation the other day, Pat, you and I did. And Heather's, uh, Heather's a great person. And we, I think we've all both, I know Pat, you and I have had a number of great conversations with Heather and understanding that because of VML where she's, who she's employed by is a, a massive um, international, you know, global type agency. And um, the title of her presentation was Your Red Tape Toolkit. And it's so it's how to win trust and get your search work implemented. Um, when you're working, typically the larger the organization, the larger the brand, the harder it is to get certain strings to pull in your favor, especially from a search professional's perspective, because we can really, you know, throw things off. And the biggest takeaway there is taking note of your client or taking note of the brand that you're working with. So again, whether you're in-house, understand who you're communicating to, brand, ethos, style, that type of thing. If you're agency's side, taking note of your client and how they really work. Some of them, it might be really easy to sell it to and understanding what their maturity level is for search and where they're at in that. And then how do you make a case for doing what you need to do, whether that's data backed, whether it's a pretty picture, whatever you need to do to, to your point, tell the story better 
Um, and the conversation that Pat and I had just, just the other day was, was literally that, like in some cases in order to get this approved, we have to do a really, really great job of mapping it out and what it's going to look like. Even if that means like as an SEO, we have to dig in and create wireframes, you know, or something like that. If we're really, if we're completely changing the way that they do something, it's not just text on a page. It's not just a spreadsheet. It's not just, you know, Word doc. Like we, we actually have to get the sketch pad out and, and show right. them. We're going to go from here to here. And, and these are the reasons yeah. why. And sometimes in, uh, the case of that gases company, mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. it might, after our initial research, we come back and say, so we're going to take everything and start over. Yeah. Everything that you have and here's why. Mm-hmm. And it, they came around, they bought into it. Uh, but it, it's, it's, it took a, it, we had to sell it to them and it took them a while to bite on it. And it just, it didn't, it didn't, it wasn't an overnight thing and it's something that we committed to. And, um, and ultimately what it hasn't launched yet, obviously it's going but, to greatly improve. Yeah. Yeah. And you're, you're talking about in that case, almost like a complete Well, it's a complete site. Reload. It will be. But I also think too, in terms of that red tape, there's a lot of, myths, misnomers that like as SEOs, we're going to come in and we're going to tell somebody that they have to completely scrap what they're doing and redo it. And I think as, as search professionals, you really should kind of front load that conversation and be like, no, we need to work within what you have. Mm -hmm. In this case, we did that and we kind of got it to a seven, but really to get it to a 10 in order to get it to a 10. There were some major, major things that need right. to happen, and and we had to make that case. Others involved in that in that type of a project have to make that case, and and be able to um, break those barriers down. And, you know, content's probably one of the biggest. The, another big area we get into that. You know, that's um, I, I'm looking at Ashley. Nobody can see that. And I'm like Ashley is, um, but it really is right. It's that notion of like. You have a language that's a style with your brand, but man, if you don't come out and say what it is that you do, like not everybody speaks black truck media language, right? We could sit here and throw acronyms around all day long, but quite frankly, if a client calls it SEO optimization, (laughs) as technically wrong as that is, maybe you got to tell it, you know? SEO optimization for them. I, I don't know. I mean, that's how client or client education. You know, you, you totally you talk their language at the beginning, and then you just put in you pepper in <laughs> the corrections. Is that how it works? So, yeah. <laughs> oh man. Yeah. No. I, I I think it's I think it's really 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 good. Um, so a lot of good things from local front. Um, yeah. Any other good takeaways, guys? Oh, there was so much on technical SEO too, like the more yes. in depth stuff, yes. and I. Um, I didn't, a lot of it was very uh, in the weeds, for me at least, (laughs) so I didn't take a lot of notes, but I did have this little quotable piece from Alexis Sanders' presentation. Um, She said, technical SEO is like roots. Without a strong foundation, a site is like a tumbleweed, and I just love how that speaks to how important it is to have your ducks in a row when it comes to technical SEO. And to piggyback off of that, too couple different things um tools 
very apparent. There are a lot of tools that are mentioned, yes. you know, by various speakers on stage. And, and there's not any one right or wrong tool, yeah. but have multiples. If, if you're a firm and you're only using one tool and relying on one tool, uh, if, if yeah. you have three tools, you can get an average and really see the big picture yeah. because the, what, what you end up noticing, there are a couple different, um, you know, I think Dr. Pete talked about things. Uh, Russ, uh, Russ Jones. Uh, Russ, Russ Jones. Jones totally killed everybody's hype. <laughs> yeah, he was a big Debbie Downer. Yeah, that's just, man. In a good way, like, yeah. He was the guy that said, you gotta try, you got to look at more tools. Yeah, Russ, Russ came in as, what, the second presenter. He came right in after Ollie Gardner on day two. So we come in after Ollie Gardner, which I don't even know. Ollie, do you drink coffee at all? But like it at nine o'clock in the morning or nine thirty in the morning, like he's ready to go. Uh-huh. And then you get Russ Jones that comes in and is just like, you know what? Fuck everything you know. <laughs> your your data isn't right. <laughs> yeah, and, and basically says Google Search Console is shitty data. Um, Google Analytics often counts real search engines as visitors. They mislabel well-known search engines. Uh, and in this bad. Bad information creates asymmetry. Asymmetry creates advantage. So you and a comp- competing firm have identical knowledge. So there's a lot of shitty data out there, and everybody is working within the same pool of shitty data. And so the Russ, Dr. Pete, and, and a few others, um, um, Mike King, basically say, like, guys, you need to have multiple tools you need to have your hands in, in kind of like multiple pools, pull the data together to really help you understand the landscape and what's going on. And with Russ, he also said we need to demand better data. Yeah, I, from, I agree. From our sources too, which I thought was a great. Um, I think that was a kind of a theme too of the of the um, conference was, yeah, you kind of touched on it, but collaborate trying to maybe not collaborate, but give feedback more and um, try to take the reins a little bit more for the future of search. So that could be the second half of Jono's presentation that started day one. He started off by saying, I hate doing the work. I want to make do the research and find the tools to, to fix right. it. And then at the end, he basically wrapped it up by saying, we need to have a better internet. And the only way we can get better internet is if we're all talking to each other and working together Agreed. To, to make it better. So if you're, if you're, if you're talking about tools... You know, your SEO or your developer don't just get stuck into Google Search Console. You better have some stuff in your back pocket. You better have some, I'm going to say, you better, I, I think you should have some paid premium tools that you're working with. If, if you're, uh, if you're an, an SEO worth your salt, I, I really think you do. You know, the free version of Screaming Frog is only going to get you so far type of thing. And the same thing too, just like, like a local SEO, uh, Mike Ramsey touched on it. Don't get stuck in just Google My Business. Mm-hmm. That's not local SEO. There's so much more. So again, it's that looking for more, using different tools, getting different data in, and comparing and figuring out what's my next move. Yeah. So. And uh, the gentleman, <clears throat> day three... You're digging. Uh, Tom Capard, local SEO uh, without yeah. physical presence. I, I have notes on him too. Yeah. Which yeah. Tom was great because Tom's from Distilled and he's out of London. Yeah. And which for us as a US based firm 
is like, all right, let's see where this goes. Yeah. Right? Go ahead, Ashley. Oh, I just if had a couple... you have any more to say. I, I just had a couple takeaways. Um, so his presentation was on local SEO when you don't have a physical location, which is a, a, can be an issue for, you know, many businesses that don't have a brick and mortar. So um, he talked a lot about local landing pages, having local landing pages on your site, and... Um, making your on-page copy local and scalable, as he said. So a couple suggestions he had made was um, talking about common purchases in the area of, mm -hmm, for that landing mm -hmm. page, um, pricing comparisons versus other locations, which definitely could have some use cases depending on the situation. And then like the nearest branches and their opening times. Totally. Uh, I just, I, there was some, some good... Yeah, and that's where yeah. content-based, you know, or article, articles in your resource center uh, can be a lot more relevant. And, and remembering that local is not just for brick-and-mortar businesses. Right. That that a good chunk of searches have local intent, or a good chunk of searches are done on a mobile device too. And you, you just have to understand the landscape and and really try and you know getting reviews for. A service-based business that doesn't, you know, even if you do have a physical location and you don't like see clients there or you don't sell product there, like it still doesn't mean that you shouldn't try and get some reviews or shouldn't try and get some traction around your name in the local market. So, not really good stuff. Anything else, guys? We're running out of time. Yeah, nothing I don't want to dig too deep into. I'll, I'm looking forward to the. Uh, transcripts and videos to be available. <laughs> oh my goodness! Yeah, pretty so soon it's it'll be. I, I think the advantage when you go to conferences like that, uh, MozCon, Search Love, uh, Inbounder, you know, big thing is the videos afterwards. So mm -hmm. you take some spotlight notes here and there. Go back in a few months later and 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 rewatch things. And uh, I rely on Ashley's notes because I'm a terrible <laughs> note taker. I know she's a great note taker. So it's... Uh, you didn't. You mean you didn't transcribe it yourself? <laughs> no, that was a different guy. Okay, but I think you know really. So, really moving forward, um, really be thinking about the user. How can you make their experience better? How can you make your site performance better? Um, thinking less about individual keywords. Think more in themes. Um, Challenge your data, challenge your teams, work closer with your design and development teams um, to really try and and kind of put a better process in place and and win more traffic from search. Cool? Yeah. Awesome. Great. Well, happy one year to the Redirect Podcast, and until next time, good luck. This has been the Redirect Podcast. Check out the show notes at blacktruckmedia.com and add us on iTunes and Stitcher.